Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 88th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services. We are happy to welcome Judy Perry Martinez, who is the chair of the American Bar Association Presidential Commission on the future of legal services. She currently is spending a year in residence at Harvard, where she is an Advanced Leadership Initiative Fellow. Previously, she has served as Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer of Northrop Grumman Corporation, a major aerospace and defense company with 65,000 employees worldwide. Prior to going in-house, she was a commercial litigator for 21 years at the New Orleans law firm of Simone Perging, Smith, and Redfern. Judy has held many leadership positions in the ABA over the last 30 years, including service on the ABA Board of Governors and its Executive Committee, Chair of the Standing Committee on the Federal Judiciary and the ABA Commission on Domestic Violence, and also Chair of the ABA Young Lawyers Division. Thank you for joining us today, Judy. Thank you for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, Judy, let's start with the fact that the president of the ABA created the Commission on the Future of Legal Services. What prompted the creation of of that commission? Sharon, William Hubbard, like I think all great ABA presidents, was listening and watching and absorbing what the public and lawyers had to say even before his term as president of the ABA began. And what William quickly realized was that through his many conversations with stakeholders across the country, uh, that we were not meeting the needs of the public. Eighty percent of legal needs of low-income and moderate-income Americans are not being met, and another 20 percent of the public doesn't even realize that they have a legal problem that they can have resolved with the assistance of a counsel or through resolution in the courts. And many companies, large corporations, as well as small businesses alike, were not seeing the value proposition in the hourly rate delivery models and we're starting to turn inward and sometimes elsewhere for solutions so people all over this country have started gravitating toward and becoming accustomed to their first point of entry for services of all kinds professional services as well as other types of services uh, to be the internet and people are seeking medical help that way they're seeking to learn and to be educated that way. They turn to the Internet to correctly spell a word, to figure out how to get through a grieving period that they may be having within their family or to even understand why their child's, how their child's or why their, why their child's tummy is hurting. So we quickly came to realize that the expectation of the public was growing, that their journey through the legal process should, in fact, begin in many cases through what they could find out on the Internet. And why should their expectations be other than those which they can have and which those experiences that can become familiar in other ways that they seek help, in, through doctors and elsewhere? So we decided, and William brightly shone the light on the fact, that lawyers needed to understand 
the public public's needs better. Lawyers needed to go to the public. Lawyers needed to understand that tra- the traditional delivery model that has been so ingrained in our professions for so very long needed to adapt and needed to change. And most importantly, that the ABA and the ABA leadership and state and bar leaders across the country needed to shape that change and needed to be a part of that change. And that's why he created and established the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services. What is the makeup of the commission? Jim, the commission is made up of 30 individuals who have demonstrated time and time again over these last nine months exactly how committed they are to making a difference in the future of the delivery of legal services. Uh, On the commission sits judges, both state and federal, academicians, including law school deans and a university chancellor. We have voices from the bars of color, as well as from the lawyers with disabilities community. We have solo practitioners, large firm lawyers, medium firm lawyers from the heartland of the country. And we have innovators. We also have sitting with us members of those those constituencies who serve the public directly. The president of the Legal Services Corporation, for instance, a representative from the AARP. The head of the Federal Judicial Center sits on the commission, as well as the president of the National Center for State Courts and a representative from the conferences of chief justices. As you can imagine, it is only with this coalition of interest and this coalition of very experienced individuals that we can tackle the significant issues that the commission is looking at and hopes to make a difference on. Well, it's, it sounds to me like the commission has a, a hell of a charter. So how is it actually going about its work? So Sharon, we began with the development of an issues paper last fall, and we publicly posted that paper and welcomed comments from all corners and received 60 sets of comments, some extremely detailed. We took that information and are really trying to absorb what we can, not only from the comments, but most importantly from a series of outreach activities that we've had since the time the commission started. We're working through six working groups that's been divided, the commission's been divided into on data, dispute resolution, preventive law, regulatory opportunities, access to justice, and blue sky. We've gone out and held public hearings. We have another set of public hearings scheduled for the annual meeting of the ABA in Chicago in late July. We've had grassroots meetings. We've been speaking to state House of Delegates and annual bar meetings of the state bars across the country and judges' conferences. And we also had a national summit on on the innovation in legal services just a few weeks ago at Stanford University in Palo Alto. We also have a terrific website where you can go and really understand about the work of the commission and what we're doing and the information we're gathering and how we're going about tackling the issues. Judy, you mentioned public hearings. What have those uh, public hearings revealed? So the public hearings have really brought forth voices from all corners, Jim. We heard from state and local bar presidents, leaders in their communities. We heard from the Department of Justice solo and small firm lawyers who are trying to understand and navigate the very sometimes traditional regulatory schemes we have in place in the the rules in the different and varying states across the country for how lawyers can operate and how lawyers can serve their clients. We heard from ABA leaders. We heard from law students. We heard from young lawyers who are looking at their future within the legal profession. 
The American Association of Libraries told us about what they're doing in the self-help arena. And we also heard from innovators. And there are many innovators who are saying that they welcome the opportunity for a dialogue, those who are outside the profession, to come in and to help understand with us, to help work with us to understand how they can be a part of delivery of legal services. Some have even suggested that they were willing to be regulated. But a lot of lawyers, as you know, are playing catch-up and, as a result, are reasonably worried about what these new innovations will mean for them and what impact they'll have on their practices and, rightfully so, on their clients. Um, what we want to do is to educate the bar about how each and every challenge and issue that may be on the table with regard to innovations that are considered and those that are implemented also can mean tremendous opportunities for individual lawyers to grow their practices, to strengthen their bonds with clients, and most importantly, to better serve those in need. Well, I certainly agree with you, Judy, that uh, we're playing catch-up to a very large extent. In, in, in your opinion, does the bar and the profession have an awareness and understand what's happening all around in the market for legal services? Sharon, you know, I think some do, but most don't to put it simply. That is why, that's why the Commission's efforts on education at this time, while we're doing the analysis, we're out there having grassroots meetings across the country, and those efforts are so important to our work, because it's not only about what we know, it's about what we hear. It's about listening and then sharing that knowledge that we're gaining as a Commission, as an ABA, with lawyers across the country, with our members and even those that are members of the profession who are not part of the ABA. We have some critical partnerships that we're engaging in in order to do just that. Uh, the National Conference of Bar Presidents, for instance, is one of the very important stakeholders that are helping us get out through their leadership teams to bar association members across the country, people who are working on Main Street who need to know the positive opportunities that lie ahead if, in fact, we embrace change and become a part of it. If not, many will be left behind. But if they take it up and become a part of the change, they, in fact, will deliver greater and more effective and more efficient services to their present clients, and I'd suggest to you also to a greater number of people in their communities. I know that one way the Commission is educating bar leaders and trying to spark potential innovation is through grassroots meetings across the country. Can you give us some insight as to what happens at those grassroots types of meetings? Sure. Our first meeting was actually some time ago uh, last year in uh, Missouri, in St. Louis, and was a terrific start uh, with regard to this grassroots co concept. Most are all-day meetings. They bring together stakeholders from the local community. Uh, chief justices usually attend, as well as leadership in the bar, those who are in the direct delivery space, in other words, serving clients directly, whether they be in legal services organizations or they're in NGOs who serve a particular arena, for instance, in the domestic violence area. Um, we also bring in educators, law school educators, to talk about how law school education has to sh be shaped and has to change as we change these models for delivery for the future. We also bring in key stakeholders in the local community who are outside the direct legal sphere. So, for instance, bringing in members of the local government who can talk to us about the needs in the city 
and what kind of challenges the city is facing. And we do that through panels, through keynotes, and most importantly and most valuable to us are the breakout sessions that comprise a great part of the time during the day where people actually dig in and come up with not only laying out the problems that face them directly in their communities, but most importantly, the solutions that they think are viable for where they live and where they work. Those grassroots meetings are not only about finding out what works in one city, but about realizing what may work in another city or another small town across the country. And it's our hope that the richness of ideas and the enthusiasm that comes from those meetings will do much in order to further the work of the Commission. Our true belief is that the greatest innovations may very well come from the individual lawyer, the individual innovator outside the legal sphere, or even a client who's been served but knows how he or she could be served in a better way. The clients are indeed having quite an effect on the practice of law. <laughs> so let's let's talk about some more of this in a little bit, but let's pause just for a moment for a commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services. And our guest is Judy Perry Martinez, who is the chair of the American Bar Association Presidential Commission on the Future of Legal Services. Judy, I know that the commission recently sponsored a summit in May at Stanford that brought together practicing lawyers, chief justices of state Supreme Courts, innovators, academicians, government lawyers, and those who are direct legal service providers. And I also know that some called it called that summit the best ABA meeting they've ever attended, and that one 30-year lawyer from a Midwest mid-sized firm called it a life-changing experience, which is pretty high praise indeed. What most struck you about the summit itself? And why will it not just go down on the books as uh, just another ABA meeting? Sharon, let me tell you first what the summit was not. It was not lawyers talking to lawyers. It was lawyers listening to innovators, design thinkers from MIT, from Stanford, from the Chicago Institute of Design. It was about lawyers listening to what people like Rich Barton, founder of Expedia and Zillow, had to say what the CEO of LegalZoom and Avo had to say. It was about change. It was about change in the essence about how we think about delivery of legal services. We had 12 chief justices present, as I think you mentioned. We had breakout sessions that produced a significant list of potential recommendations for the commission to consider. These were recommendations that came out of the individual breakout sessions that will now be looked at along with a lot of other data that the Commission is considering as it goes about its work. And people said it was unlike any other ABA meeting they had attended. 
because I believe that it was about significantly about the client. It was about the public and not focused on lawyers. It was about what do we do now, taking an honest look at our rules, taking an honest look about how we deliver services, taking an honest look about whether we need, in some cases, to be the person delivering the service, and doing a check on ourselves to see, with the input of others from outside the legal sphere, whether we can do things better. That openness was palatable. That candor in the conversations was real. And as people walked away, I think they had a true sense that the summit is about action, it's about follow-on, and it's about making a difference. And that all of the individuals who are there, the 200 individuals to this invitation-only conference, will be a part of the solution. And it is their obligation, their duty to go back to their workspace, to their community, to their bar association, to their commercial enterprise, and to make sure, to their NGO, and to make sure that others understand that they can be a part of the solution as well. Judy, I know when I talk to lawyers uh, in groups or individually about changes in the future marketplace, they get a little nervous and sometimes actually seem to be a, a little ill. Does the marketplace <laughs> shift only present challenges and hardships for them, or are there also opportunities? I think there are many opportunities, Jim, but let me be clear. There may, in fact, be challenges. There will be some challenges, and there will be some pain for those who are not alert and ready and equipped with innovation like others have. So this is, as William Hubbard has said, an inflection point for the profession. And when you say that, it seems like a high-level statement, but it's an inflection point for individual lawyers. Each individual lawyer has to think about whether they are going to be a part of the change or whether they're going to watch the change happen. This has potential for a sea change. You know, when we look back at times when there was no interstate, we had the back roads and we converted to use of the interstate. And now we can't think what our lives would be like without the interstate. The fact that we can jump in a road and go see our grown children and their families in no time at all. If we think to the time when there were landlines, we thought there was nothing better. And now we know what cell phones and smartphones have done for our lives. When we think of the time when there were movie theaters, we were thrilled. But now we know the convenience and the enjoyment of, you know, on-demand and Netflix and others that have brought movies to our homes. And the same thing goes for the wonderful department stores that anchored many of our malls that still have a great service for us today. But that was when there wasn't an Amazon or other online providers that you could shop from your home. And think about the people who couldn't get to that department store, who couldn't get to that movie theater who maybe are closed in in their house or otherwise didn't have the, the means to get there. And now they can enjoy many of the same things that others with means could enjoy. So in each case, when there's been change, there's been pain, Jim. There's been challenge. There's been issues that have to be tackled. But they're tackled by people who care, and I think that's what's happening right here and now. So all of the former ways remain critical. They remain important. Many of them are not any sense outdated, that there's room in this space for more. There's room in their space to think differently about how, how we can meet the needs of the public when it comes to legal services. How can we make it easier for them? How can we make it easier 
for a mother who has to go to court in a custody battle to not have to go and take off time from work when she doesn't get paid if she doesn't work? Or how can somebody who lives in a remote area of the country in a state in a far corner get to even seek a name change or deal with a landlord-tenant issue if they have to travel 200 or 300 or 400 miles to the nearest courthouse? And that doesn't even get us started talking about immigration issues and the remoteness of those locations where people are being held. But this isn't, let me be clear, only about low-income and moderate means individuals, although that would be enough of a reason in every sense for the Commission to take on this work. This is also about how corporations, big and small, have their commercial matters heard timely in courts across this country, when sometimes they have to wait for many years for a trial date. And part of that wait is due to the fact that we have so many uh, pro se litigants who are trying to get their matters heard, matters of great importance to them. And the commission, I should also mention, is also looking at the criminal arena. How do some of the solutions for advocates in the, in the civil arena, do they have application and how do they apply and can they be used in the criminal arena? If we remove municipal misdemeanors and make them to be non-criminal charges, is there a way that, in fact, then other advocates, non-lawyer advocates, can step in and help people process through those challenges and issues? We think so. We're working with both the civil and legal communities and making legal communities and making sure that we're addressing needs in both to the best we can. Well, I know from listening to you here that the commission has a long way to go and it's a long and winding road. You certainly have not completed your work yet and have not yet issued any recommendations. But having said that, are you starting to see a path forward that will bring benefit to the public? And even though it is disruptive and may make a few lawyers feel a bit ill, might actually provide opportunity and growth for the savvy practicing lawyer. We do have a lot of work yet to do, Sharon, and we have been in what I'd call a gathering stage. In fact, I called during the conference at Stanford, the conference itself, the summit, a gathering vessel because we truly believe that what we heard there was a part, a significant important part of all of the information that we're taking in. But you're right. If you follow the thread through what I was mentioning just a few moments ago, I think you'd hear several things, and that is that we need to examine our current rules across the country, as you know, the rules of professional conduct that regulate lawyers are on a state-by-state basis. So we have 50 sets of rules that are all derived from, if you will, the model rules of professional conduct, uh, which are voted on uh, by the ABA House of Delegates. We have those rules in place. We have to examine those rules carefully and thoughtfully to make sure that they are fit and appropriate for the here and now and for the future, not only for the past, do we have any rules that are tra- rules of tradition that have now become barriers for the public that do not serve to preserve and protect the public, that do not serve to preserve and anchor us to the core values of the profession? Because all the work of this commission is about preserving the core values of the profession, preserving the protection of the public, making sure that that's adhered to. But additionally, we have to think about changes in rules, not only that, but how do we just through technology bring innovation to the legal space? Are we making sure that lawyers understand what they can do in order to give clients greater access? Are we making sure that lawyers understand what services 
aren't needed to be delivered by a lawyer and, in fact, can be delivered by somebody else, like the triple LTs in Washington State or the housing court advocates and the, the consumer court advocates that are being put in place in New York State. And other states are taking on innovative approaches in order to make sure that there's greater access to the courts, there's greater access for members of the public who want to preventatively address their legal issues that may not even dis involve a court resolution. And that most importantly, all of the work that lawyers do is done anchored to the core values of the profession and that the work that anybody else does is also anchored to those values and importantly protects the public at any turn. Judy, I, I mainly work with a lot of uh, solo and small firm lawyers and lawyers in small towns and rural communities. Uh, when you mention things like the uh, triple LTs or internet delivery of legal services, they sometimes hear you're bringing in people or entities to compete with me when I don't, I'm having a tough time making it as it is. Is this just a challenge for solo and small firm lawyers or is it really broader than that in terms of firms of all size and clients of all types? So the triple LT concept is, let me be clear, just one solution. And it's still in the stage in Washington state where it's being implemented. Um, it is being looked at in California, but it is one creative solution to a very large problem of the need to address greater access to legal services in this country. That need is only about, not only about solos and small firms, although I will tell you I have a brother who is my, one of my most wonderful heroes in the law, and he is and has been for many years a solo practitioner. And I know the burden they take on, and I know the work they do. Sometimes um, and often they're helping someone in their community who otherwise wouldn't be helped. And we are, as a country, particularly indebted to them and will be for decades to come because of the work they do. That wouldn't otherwise get done. But this problem, this issue, this challenge and the opportunities, I should say, that we are facing right now at this point in time because of this convergence of what's happening with technology and the opportunities it presents, are not only facing solo and small firm lawyers, but they're facing all lawyers in large and medium-sized firms, in big and small towns, as well as corporations. I just spent 11 years, almost 11 years, at a corporation in-house. And I can tell you, we were always driving toward efficiency, effectiveness, and value. And corporations across this country, large and small, look for value propositions. We need to understand what the value proposition is for all those clients, no matter if they're an entity or whether they're an individual. And most importantly, we need to understand that solutions that exist in the corporate world may very well, if shared, be totally applicable and appropriate in the solo and small firm practice and vice versa. Terrific solutions coming out of the solo and small firm practice world may very well have sticking power in larger corporations and in their legal departments. That's what we have to shoot, do. We have to do what we do best as lawyers. We have to listen we have to share, we have to innovate, and we have to lead. And that's what this effort is all about that William Hubbard has put in place during his year as ABA president.
Well, Judy, there is no way to stop the future, and your passion for meeting it wisely is certainly evident. We want to thank you for being with us today, for sharing your insight and your expertise. I know our listeners have enjoyed this. Many of us in the field have been thinking about the future of law, worrying about the future of law, and I'm glad that your commission exists and will hopefully illuminate a path forward for all of us. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Jim and Sharon. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.